Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. How do you respond when someone offends you? How do you react when someone calls you a name? What do you feel when someone's actions bother you? And how do you feel and react when someone's post on Facebook is the opposite of what you believe? Perhaps someone you care about says something hurtful or foolish. How do you feel? We live in times where we have more and more opportunities to engage with those whose convictions, priorities, and beliefs are dramatically different from our own. The way we react to the words and actions of others matters. When we face a person whose actions or words hurt us or anger us, our response is critical. Our reaction to the hurt says more about ourselves than the hurtful words and actions reveal about others. This is because our response reveals our heart, our character, our maturity, our willingness to receive truth or our ability to brush off offense with dignity and grace. Today we have just such a story, one that should make any Christian a bit uncomfortable. But it's a story about how we face words we do not want to hear. It's a story about offense overlooked, pride diminished, humility uplifted, and persistent faith. The way we react to offense matters, no matter if it is true and deserved or false and a wrong that is done to us. Your response will reveal your maturity and Christ-likeness, or it will reveal pride, immaturity, and instead of Christ-likeness, selfishness. So let's read the text in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the, let the, child, let the children be fed first. Let me read that verse over again, because <laughs> it's one of the most important ones. Verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What a strange and uncomfortable story. Even when I read it badly, it's, it's still uncomfortable. And when I read it nicely, it's still uncomfortable. If you are like me, when you read this story, you feel a little confused by Jesus and how he reacts to this mother in need. To be more blunt, this story makes Jesus look a bit mean or even cruel. One might ask how Jesus' words are loving or how he is caring for his neighbor. He does not seem to want to help this mother and his words, well, they seem a bit harsh. Our story begins with Jesus traveling out of Israel, out of Galilee, north and to the west, towards the Mediterranean coastline. You can picture palm trees and beautiful waters to the cities of Tyre and Sidon. These are Greek cities located now in modern-day Lebanon. Sidon is actually 32 miles south of Beirut. If Jesus wants a break from the crushing crowds of the Jewish citizenry, this would seem like a good location. Our text even tells us that Jesus enters a house, not wanting anyone to know that he was there. However, we know that the power of God cannot be hidden, and the presence of Jesus is an attractive force wherever he goes. Seeking a moment of solitude becomes an impossibility. 
There's a Greek Syrophoenician woman, and she hears about the arrival of Jesus. She's a mother, concerned about her daughter, who is afflicted by demon possession. She seeks out Jesus because she recognizes his power and his authority to heal her daughter. However, when she begs Jesus for help, Jesus responds to her with a story, or I should say, really, a riddle. That kind of is an insult. It's that verse 27, the one I struggled reading earlier. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. With this little line, Jesus is telling the woman his ministry priority. He has come to minister to the Jewish people first. The children in his story are the people of Israel. The dogs, well, that title is reserved for the people who are not Jewish. And in this specific story, specific story that's the mother and her daughter. So we have a mom begging for healing for her daughter. And we have Jesus, who seems to tell her he's not going to help. And he seems to call her and her daughter a dog. This is not the Jesus we're used to. Rather, this is not the Jesus that most of us even want. And I think more than a few few people have read this story and they kind of just, they don't know what to do with it, so they ignore it. And they move on seeking a more loving portrayal of Jesus. And, and I know some people have read this story and they said to themselves, well, this is what Jesus is like. I don't want to have any part with him. And this is an understandable human response. Many of us have similar reactions towards people that appear like they can help, but refuse to do so. If someone insults or offends, we have a habit of writing that person off and distancing ourselves. However, this is the same Jesus we encounter all through the Gospels. The Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Only here, perhaps, his words are more pointed. Perhaps even more pointed at us than we would like. Most of us are comfortable with Jesus and his name-calling when it's about someone else. Someone whom we deem whom we deem deserves to be taken down a peg or two, like, I don't know, Pharisees or Sadducees or teachers of the law. You know, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers and hypocrites or even whitewashed tombs, and, and we're okay with that. Somehow the name-calling and, dare I say, offense there is okay. But once those words are turned on someone we deem not so deserving, or even on ourselves, we start to feel like perhaps Jesus might not be all that he's cracked up to be. And so we come back to our uncomfortable story. Do we make excuses for Jesus? Well, maybe he was tired, or he was interrupted by this lady, or he, he was just trying to get away from the pressure of the crowd, and, and there she is, bringing the pressure back. Heal my daughter. And while you and I might be able to claim an impatient moment, I'm not sure Jesus, the Son of God, can get a pass to behave badly when he's tired. Some people say that Jesus meant all along to heal the daughter. He was just testing mom. But then he never tells her that she passes the test. And he never tells her that it is a test. The text never tells us that this is a test. And if it is, it's a test poorly done. No, I think here we encounter Jesus just the same as he always is. So we need to remember God does not change and Jesus does not change. And I can tell you that Jesus' ministry is full of radical challenges to what everybody thought God wanted and expected of them. The disciples expected a revolutionary warrior. The Pharisees valued duty and legalism. The Sanhedrin sought to preserve their heritage by appeasing Roman power. The list could go on and on because each one of us has our own expectations and perceptions for what God wants. 
but Jesus is in the business of exposing our misunderstandings and exposing us for who we really are and then inviting us to be a part of his kingdom. And that is what he does here with this woman. As much as the story bothers us, and it does bother me, for when the story bothers us, we should ask ourselves, why does it bother us? We should ask ourselves, well, what's in me that feels uncomfortable at Jesus' words? We often, when the story bothers us, want to say, well, what's wrong with Jesus? But we should really be asking, well, what's in me that's causing me to feel this way? The way this mother responds to Jesus matters. However hurtful his words may appear to be, this woman's response to Jesus shows us that she's willing to lay down pride and pick up humility, that she is wise, and that she has persistent faith. And all this begins with her willingness to look past offensive words. So let's start by looking at those hard words of Jesus. Verse 27, one more time, that say, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I wish I could tell you that Jesus' words were not insulting, but I have not found too many people in this world that like to be called a dog, even if it's the truth. And here's what I can say. The ministry of Jesus is to bring us into the kingdom of God. The Christian understands that this is done by the redemptive work of Jesus, dying on the cross, paying for our sins, and then conquering death by resurrection. But part of the process of receiving forgiveness is to get us to see ourselves clearly, to see our sinful, our lowly state. Too many of us think that we are, well, we're mostly good, and we just need Jesus to push us over the edge up into heaven. Like, we're almost there. We just need a little bit more. But this is far from the truth. We are all sinners. In fact, I would go as far to say as we are all rotten sinners. The problem is, is we compare ourselves against each other instead of in the light of the holiness of God. It is a very perceptive, it's very perceptive of the woman when Jesus responds with the riddle and children and bread and dogs. It's perceptive of her, of her to, to hear that riddle and receive it as truth. The woman does not look at Jesus and say, I, I think you're being a little hard. I, I think you could have said that a little more nicely. She could have said, how dare you refuse to help? And, and how dare you call me a dog? And then she could have decided that Jesus was someone she wanted no part of. We run the risk of judging Jesus' words because perhaps what we see here is a mother begging for help for her daughter. But there's more here. We know she's a sinner, like all of us. And the text doesn't say it outright, but there's more to the story than we realize. If we understand the situation of Tyr and Sidon a little bit, we might gather that economically it's a very wealthy, wealthy, wealthy region, and they get all of their food from Galilee. They, at least they don't make their own food. They get it from Galilee and other places. Acts chapter 12 verse 20 confirms this. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. And they asked for peace, because their country depended upon the king's country for food. Tyre and Sidon literally took bread from Galilee, even when many Galileans went hungry. And so the Galileans perceived Tyre as a threat. And they saw them as a threat and they took their food, but also because there's no natural boundaries between them. The people of Tyre could kind of say, hey, you know that field? That's actually ours. We're going to take the grain out of that this year. And then maybe the next year they, they changed the boundary again. Josephus, the Jewish historian, described the 
Presbyterians as our bitterest of enemies. And so David Garland, in his commentary in the Gospel of Mark, puts it like this. The woman, this woman, is not just a Gentile, but possibly a member of a resented class of privileged foes. She has a lot of guts to ask a Jewish healer for help. And Garland continues, liking it to a rich, this woman, to a rich Brahmin, pulling up in a fancy limousine to a shelter run by Mother Teresa, and that person insisting that Mother Teresa leave her untouchable charges to pray over her own sick child. Now picture again how this woman, possibly from high society, felt as Jesus likened her to a household pet. She could have been furious, but just the opposite happened. This woman knew that the healing of her daughter needed uh, the, the healing her daughter needed came only from Jesus. She also realized that she was not of Israel, not of the chosen people of God, and her limited understanding told her that there is no place in God's kingdom for her. She realized that she was a pagan and not a follower of God. Perhaps she saw in Jesus' words that she had already feasted literally on Israel's food while the children of God went hungry. She realized that the reality was she was low. She was miserable. She's just this miserable creature. But she also knew that she needed the power of Jesus in her daughter's life. Her reaction to Jesus mattered, and it made all the difference between healing and life and bitterness and a bitter life. So her reaction mattered, and here are the parts of her reaction that I see that made all the difference first. She determined that pride was not going to keep her from Jesus. Whether she was a poor mother or a high-class wealthy mother, she knew Jesus spoke truth and had the power of God to heal. A poor mother could have been bitter about being denied the blessings that others seemed to have. A wealthy mother could have been bitter about having her privilege held against her. Pride is dangerous. Pride can serve as a roadblock to the healing that you need desperately. Pride can be a roadblock to the help that you need desperately. And here's something you need to hear. Pride is personal. Pride makes you feel as though you are being attacked personally instead of simply faced with the truth of who you are. All through the gospel, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees encounter and they wrestle with Jesus. He speaks the truth of who they are, and each time he speaks to them, their pride takes control and they personally feel threatened. They're worried of losing their power, the life they've built, and so they react by rejecting Jesus, and eventually they react to Jesus by crucifying him. Pride leads them to crucify Jesus instead of themselves. And that is the choice we all face when we encounter Jesus. Receive his truth and lay down our own lives, or reject him and try to crucify him all over again, all over again in our own pride. Letting go of pride means that we are willing to give our life to God instead of guarding our life from God. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25 tell us this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not just saying, Give up stuff, live a holy life. He's saying, Pick up your cross, be crucified, put to death your pride, your old way of life, your old self, and gain new life in Christ. This is what this woman wanted and knew that she needed. Pride can stiffen us 
from receiving Jesus, whether we feel our importance keenly or a sense of justice or simply we think what we think is right, pride can set us on a deadly course if we're going to be stubborn about it. Here's a story that goes like this. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like the radar malfunctioning or even a weather problem like thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have been steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud, too prideful to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. Proverbs 29.23 says this, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And Dwight Moody says this, Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. I really like that quote, so I'm going to read it again. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. Now, a close relative to pride is offense. I'm offended. That offends me. Those words are one of our society's greatest claims of authority. That a person is offended somehow means that there is a problem with others and the other needs to change. No matter the politics, race, social status, religion, all sides are tempted to cry, I'm offended. And it's easy to get offended. Great little quote that I found. The best thing about the internet is how quickly you can offend the maximum amount of people with minimum effort. It is your choice if you're going to get all bothered about what people say on the internet. I'm convinced that people somehow, they just lose their minds just before they post something on Facebook or Instagram or social. They, they get to the internet and they have the best of intentions and then just something goes wrong. And, and, and <laughs> don't take it too personally. Just, just know that I think we all know weird things happen on the internet. We just lose our minds. So my wife, she found this little phrase that I think is really helpful. I want to share it with you here. Uh, Betsy found this phrase that I, I just think is good to just check yourself before you post something online. And the word is HALT. Just four letters, H-A-L-T. And when you think of that word, you ask yourself different questions. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And if you answer yes to any of those questions, wait. Don't post what you're about to post. Seek restoration. Eat if you're hungry. Calm down if you're angry. Seek friends if you're lonely. Rest if you're tired. And then come back. Look at what you wanted to post and put on the internet. Chances are you might be thinking a little more clearly. You'll see things a little better. And you might say, yeah, I need to post this. Or you might go, hmm, I don't think I should. At this point, you might be saying, but pastor, people say awful things and do awful things. Well, we should be offended. Well, a Christian should pursue and stand for the truth. And the Christian should stand for what is right in the eyes of God. The Christian should be bothered by un injustice and unholiness. But there's a difference between being offended and being wronged. But our being offended says more about ourselves and what is in our heart than it does about the offender. Here's another quote. Maturity is being able to have your opinions and beliefs challenged without personally, without feeling personally challenged and attacked. Let me read that again. 
maturity is being able to have your opinions and beliefs challenged without feeling personally challenged and attacked. I think there are a lot of people who are quickly moving from discussion over ideas to personal attack on all sides. Stand for truth. Stand for what is right. But beware of personal attack. Personal attack is easy, and it's easy to feel personally attacked. Standing for truth is much harder to do. It's more dangerous to do. It's also more powerful and bears better fruit. So this woman, she was not willing to let pride block her way from encountering Jesus. Well, let me say this. As much as she was not willing to let pride block her way, she also understood that she needed to let humility open the way to Jesus. So that's the second thing I'd like to share. She does not, she lets humility open the way to Jesus. This mother has no you owe me attitude. She's not bitter that the children of Israel are invited to eat their share first. She does not argue for special treatment. She does not point out that Jesus is not even in the land of Israel. On the other hand, she does not cut herself off from the miraculous power of Jesus. This woman is willing to put pride aside and in its place wear humility. This is something the disciples struggled with. In Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, we read these words. And they came to Capernaum, and when, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? And then the disciples, they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and talked. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see, the disciples have trouble receiving the kingdom as little children. Yet this mother has no qualms to try to receive the kingdom of God as, well, a dog. Now, just as I say that, I also want to use this. C.S. Lewis tells us, and I know I've used this uh, in the recent past, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This is what the woman is doing. She does not let pride keep her from Jesus, and humbleness empowers her to seek Jesus. This mother wants life for her daughter, and she's willing to do whatever it takes. She wants her daughter to be free of this demon. Humility is what Jesus showed us on the cross, thinking of you and me, wanting to purchase redemption for you and me. How does this woman put aside pride and wear humility so well? Well, she understands the urgency of her daughter's need. She is also incredibly thoughtful about Jesus' words. That's something we ought to take note of for a moment. You know, she understands the urgency of the daughter's need, but she also is so thoughtful about Jesus' words. Of all the people who listen to the teaching of Jesus and the gospel, this woman seems to understand better than just about anyone else the words of Jesus. The disciples often need to ask Jesus, well, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And the Jewish leaders often misinterpret Jesus' words, and, and the crowd is often confused or troubled by Jesus' hard sayings. But this mother does not need to ask Jesus what he means. She understands his riddle right away, accepts her role as a dog, as I dare say, again, that's so uncomfortable to say, and as uncomfortable as that is, uh, and then she expands on Jesus' own phrase. She she turns it back and she joins into his teaching and she says, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the feet that fall from the children. 
This woman knows more about bread, more about the bread that Jesus offers than the disciples do. Earlier in Mark, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000. We looked at it from the Gospel of John, but it's in the Gospel of Mark too. And at the end of that account, the disciples are caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus calms the wind and the waves, it's there in Mark chapter 6, that's like verse uh, 51 and 52, it simply says, they did not. They they were astounded when Jesus calmed the storm because they did not understand about the bread for loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And then later, Mark chapter eight, on the other side of the story, they still don't understand bread. It's in Mark chapter eight, verses fourteen through twenty-one. I want to read these verses too. It's a little longer, but it's worth it to understand that they are failing to grasp the meaning of the bread. Now they had forgotten to bring bread with them. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And they said twelve. And then the seven loaves for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said him seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? No, the disciples, they don't understand. But this woman understands that a crumb is all she needs. She does not ask for a whole meal of bread, just a crumb. And that leads me to the third thing, you know, pride. She doesn't let pride get in the way of her encounter with Jesus. She puts on humility to pave the way to Jesus. And then three, her faith tells her that hope is found in Jesus alone. Well, we might struggle with who? With Jesus, with a Jesus who seems harsher than we expect in this story, this story is full of the faith of this woman. She has every reason to believe that she would not receive healing for her daughter because she's a foreigner. She's not welcome. Jesus even kind of reacts and kind of says, well, the children of Israel, they're, they're going to eat their fill first. But this woman has faith in Jesus in who he is and in his authority. From beginning to end, this story speaks of her faith. The action of the woman seeking out Jesus in itself is a sign of faith. She begins journeying to Jesus, having faith that he is the solution that she needs. The woman is asking for a crumb as a sign of faith, for she knows Jesus' power can be found in a crumb and not a full meal. And And so I think that's important, too. She begins her journey in faith. She exposes that she knows that just a crumb is enough. Like, we often talk about faith like a mustard seed. Well, she has faith like a crumb or in a breadcrumb. Matthew 17, 20 says this, Jesus said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And the last dimension of this woman's faith is that she leaves Jesus in faith. She doesn't insist that Jesus go home with her to to check on her daughter to make sure the miracle worked. She She goes home. She arrives at Jesus in faith, She has faith in just a breadcrumb, and then she leaves Jesus in faith. And that faith overcomes racial and social and even, dare I say, religious boundaries. 
If we really look at the text, Jesus does not require this mom, this mother, to become a disciple to heal her daughter. She's a pagan. And as far as we know, she leaves a pagan. But I think she's hungering deeply for Jesus. Now, for those of you who might read this story and say, well, it really sounds like Jesus was favoring the Jewish people. He came to minister to them and not really for the Gentiles. Well, I would challenge you to do a bigger reading of the Gospel of Mark. Just go to Mark chapter 6, 7, and 8. Our story today is in chapter 7. But So expand to chapter 6 and go to chapter 8. And In chapter 6, verse 30, you have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus is in a Judean, an Israelite wilderness, and he's feeding a Jewish crowd of people miraculously, a feast of bread. Mark 7 begins with the Pharisees ridiculing Jesus' disciples because of the way they eat. It's unclean to them and it offends them. And then we have our text today about this happening outside of Israel, in, in pagan lands, in Gentile country, and this mom and her daughter are blessed by Jesus. They receive, well, the crumbs. And then Jesus goes to the Decapolis, a Greek territory, not Jewish. And he heals a deaf man and a man with a speaking impediment. And then Mark chapter 8 begins with the story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. This time, you know, with the 5,000, it was in a Judean wilderness to a Jewish crowd. Here, it's not in a Jewish desert, but a pagan wilderness feeding a non-Jewish crowd a feast of bread. So you have this section in chapter and in, in the gospel of mark these three chapters and, and many commentators call it the crossing of the borders it begins with the feast of bread for israelites and ends with the feast of bread for gentiles and in the middle the very center of this discussion of, the, of these three chapters is a discussion about what makes a person clean or unclean and i want to go there because this is really important in mark chapter 7 Verses 20 through 23, we read these words. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus is in the business of exposing our hearts and healing our hearts. He may have used the word dog to talk about this woman, this mom and her daughter. But in her encounter with Jesus, this woman opened her heart. And what she exposed was that she desired the blessing of Jesus. She desired truly to be a child of God. Now, I just want to point this out. You do realize that if someone calls you a dog, you are only, you are the only one who can make it true. If someone offends you and says something terrible to you, you are the only one who can make it true. The conversation could have stayed at, well, how, how dare you call me that? How dare you call me that terrible thing? But instead, the woman opened her heart. She released her pride. She poured out humility and thoughtfulness and let her faith shine forth. When the Bible offends you, it's trying to get you to examine your heart. And when we are offended by others around us, we have in that moment the opportunity to show Jesus in us or to show sin and ugliness in us 
Which one will you choose? Let's pray. Father God, these are hard times, and hard times often lead to hard hearts. It is easy in these times to judge the hearts of others, to be offended, to stand righteously behind pride, and I fearfully ask that you would show us in that you would show us what's in our hearts. Show us how much we need Jesus. If we are honest about ourselves, we might feel like, oh, big mess. We don't need much. Just a crumb of Christ's healing power. Help us to become a humble people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.